Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. Patient centricity is no longer just a buzzword. It's redefining how the pharmaceutical industry operates to deliver the best outcomes and experiences for patients. I'm here with special guests Gemma Fister and Jack Young to discuss opportunities to move toward a more patient-centric model throughout the medicine development life cycle. The phrase, no decision about me without me, really captures the spirit of patient-centricity. What are some of the defining features of a truly patient-centric approach? So for me, putting patients first really encapsulates patient centricity um, and putting them first in an open and sustained engagement to achieve the best experience and outcomes for them. So some of the principles are inclusiveness. So including them in a clinical trial design, as an example, or having a patient council that you operate where you listen to the needs of the patients and truly integrate that into your business is going to be really, really key. Other phrases that come to mind when thinking about patient centricity are empowerment. So empowering patients to take control of their own health, whether that be through a shared decision-making tool or other means. Showing respect, compassion and openness. And really working in partnership and collaboration with patients is going to be really key as pharmaceutical companies look to differentiate themselves and be truly patient-centric to deliver optimal outcomes for the patients in which they treat. I think one of the key things to really think about in being truly patient centric is the importance of ensuring that we're listening to patients all the way through. And, you know, there's listening and then there's really active listening, really seeking to understand what are the motives behind the feedback that has been provided. Truly, only patients know what the real impact of their disease or condition is on them because they're experiencing it directly. And therefore taking the time to really seek to understand their perspectives and think about how that gets applied to the actions and decisions that are made by life sciences companies is absolutely key. So one of the things that I think that cuts across all of what Jack just mentioned is making sure that from inclusiveness through to working in partnership, the listening is pulled all the way through. Gemma and Jack, I love your points about inclusiveness and active listening and partnership. I think that's really a mindset shift for life science companies. They're used to engaging with patients in that advisory capacity, you know, maybe getting that input, right? But it's really on the follow through that the rubber hits the road when it comes to patient centricity and that digging deeper and starting to view patients as partners as they're making key um, development and business decisions. So. I'm curious, you know, how can life science companies really translate this approach and this spirit of patient centricity into the full life cycle of product development? Yeah, it's it's absolutely the key question, Jen. And I think, you know, more and more it needs to start early on, right? Right from the very uh, start when pharma life sciences companies think, well, what are the unmet medical needs? Where are the opportunities to really make a true impact uh, on patients and overall health? And of course, that starts with um, drug discovery and then on through to R&D. And, you know, I think that level of objectiveness from a pharmaceutical company and really thinking about those areas where there is true unmet medical need is the, the foundation 
for a successful uh, patient-centric approach. So thinking as early as phase one, you know, it's really important to ensure that there are mutual benefits for the patients, first and foremost, and the industry in looking at research that is absolutely tied to those areas where there is unmet medical need. Um, and, and that often requires quite a, an investment uh, from a pharmaceutical perspective, you know, and often some creativity in looking to see where, what are those particular stones that should be turned over, whether we can identify areas where there is true um, potential from a scientific and medical perspective to move the needle for patients. Assuming proof of concept through a phase one um, approach, then moving through to phase two, clearly it becomes really important to make sure that uh, pharma companies are asking the right questions and engaging um, patients in both the creation of those questions, but also the answering of the questions. Um, and I think that's one of the areas where there still is some work to be done in that it's not just about, you know, um, having patient representatives or patient organizations as representatives to answer questions, but also making sure that patients and their representatives are inputting to the questions that are asked in the first place, right? Because again, truly, it's only the patients who really understand, you know, what it is that they need uh, from their uh, therapy or from their device or from the overall provision of care. Moving then through to a phase three perspective, obviously here um, the aim is to make sure that the insights and the key uh, conclusions that were garnered from that early engagement with patients are actually um, translated into programs that are going to uh, ensure optimal patient engagement and real value uh, when that uh, therapy or, or device um, is actually delivered in reality. So really making sure that there is a building on the groundwork that has been laid um, already. And of course, this isn't something that is purely uh, done in isolation with R&D and with medical. But of course, th this is a very cross-functional activity within pharma, you know, including uh, the commercial colleagues, the, the pricing and market access colleagues, um, and all those folks who really are ensuring that they are bringing the true perspective of the patient that reflects the patient journey and the desired outcomes. Patient safety, I think, is a great example, Jen, of ensuring um, that, you you know, first and foremost, there is the appropriate balance between outcomes, beneficial outcomes and risk. And I think through um, the, the pandemic um, that we have been going through, certainly the pharmaceutical industry has gained some very valuable lessons uh, from COVID in terms of making sure that we are looking at innovation uh, for patients, but also ensuring um, a real safeguarding of the safety for patients overall. Gemma, you're so right. I think another piece that the pandemic has really brought to the forefront in terms of thinking about patient centricity in clinical trials is really ensuring that our trials are diverse in the sense of that they reflect the patient population um, epidemiology for the disease in terms of which patients are being most uh, severely impacted and that those patients are all represented within the study design. The COVID pandemic's really put this into sharp focus around clinical trial diversity. And there's a few ways in which they can do that. It's doing sightless trials, engaging more with patients, reaching uh, patients in rural uh, communities, 
lots of different strategies they can take to really make sure that clinical trials are diverse and representative of the patient population. And it's an area that's going to grow in increased importance. I'd also love to pick up on a point that Gemma made earlier when she was talking about one of the latter phases, which is around reimbursement in Europe and HTA or health technology assessments, because the landscape in Europe is incredibly complex in terms of the reimbursement landscape. It's very fragmented. There are different models. Medicines are evaluated in different ways and approval also varies widely. But also most critically, patients or patient organizations where they're represented, their level of involvement varies significantly across Europe. So countries like France and Sweden, they have a formalized process. They can even vote patients within committees. However, in countries like Austria, Italy and Portugal, you don't get any patient input in terms of reimbursement processes. And that really needs to change. You know, patients should have a seat at the table in these decisions around whether the drug gets onto the market, whether it be positive to make sure it gets onto the market or indeed negative. So the pharmaceutical companies can go back and make amendments, make sure it really is a drug or a treatment that best serves their best interests by providing the right input into these key decisions. And from a US perspective, the advocacy groups are incredibly prevalent there, and they're keen to get a seat at the table as well. So what can companies do to try and improve this, or not just companies, but the whole healthcare community at large? You know, you could make a more consistent process for gathering that patient input. You can get everyone around and, and discussing it and having round tables and, and discussion like payers, regulators and policymakers that are all key in this decision. You could look at alternative funding models, but ultimately patients and POs should be looking to engage with stakeholders as frequently as possible and other stakeholders like regulators and payers, they should be lobbied and we should advocate for these changes to make sure that patients have more involvement in these critical decisions to help patients get the treatment that they need and deserve. Jack, I think you raised such interesting perspective in terms of, you know, the importance of patient centricity in the reimbursement decisions in Europe. I think here in the States, we often see a role in terms of trial design and getting to approval. And then once it's approval, it becomes more about um, in our commercially driven landscape around how do you navigate the individual reimbursements with plans. But given the um, unique nature of the European market, like really getting that reimbursement is a key driver of whether patients are even able to access a drug um, in certain markets and understanding like what are some of the balancing acts, right? I've read some interesting articles around how when you look at drugs from a single perspective, like cost efficacy or um, clinical advantage over existing treatments, it can tell a really different story in terms of the benefit of a drug versus the value that a patient sees in terms of, you know, maybe it's only slightly more efficacious than um, an intravenous therapy, but in terms of the convenience to a patient's lifestyle and the overall improvement in their quality of life, it can have a, a big benefit. So understanding how do we welcome some of those conversations in as well, I think it is huge. The one stat perhaps that's helpful uh, from a context perspective in Europe is that 30% um, 
of drug spend here in Europe is actually for biologic therapies. And, you know, in the last year, it's gone up 3.4%. And, you know, that represents a real significant chunk of, you know, an already stretched um, budget from a European country's perspective. So I think, you know, Jack makes a great point around, you know, how important it is to ensure that uh, the patient benefits of what are, you know, relatively significantly costly therapies are really put into context as part of these HTA decisions um, because you know these can be absolutely life-changing um, even you know curing in some instances um, and being able to articulate that through the voice of the patient in a truly um, partnership model is is absolutely key to put that added cost into perspective. Once we've gotten through the product approval and reimbursement decisions, um, there is obviously a wealth of opportunity that exists on the commercial side as well. And I think when we're thinking about what can life science companies do from a commercial perspective, it's really all about anchoring on to that patient journey as the point of reference for support. It's actually interesting. A lot of people call it a patient journey, actually. We've heard through our patient councils that we work with on projects, they don't actually like the word journey. They prefer experience because journey implies there's a beginning and an end. So it's quite an interesting point. Like there's those little semantics that really, you know, listening to patients and change it. So the client we work at, we don't call it the patient journey anymore. We call it something else. So it's really actively listening. But a lot of companies do use that term when they chunk the different areas of intervention that they can support a patient along that journey. So, or their experience indeed. So at the upfront, like symptoms through assessment and diagnosis through to treatment monitoring, and then eventually recurrence and recovery. Um, so some of the solutions that exist out there at the moment, a lot of them are digital based. Obviously we live in a digital world. So, so many of them are and the proliferation of these apps is growing more and more and more. Uh, so whether that might be, you know, the Apple Watch on your wrist that can take uh, detail and data from your treatment or a shared decision-making tool or gathering information from patients' medical records is becoming even more prevalent now and creating a visualized patient journey for them and then taking the data from lots, tens of thousands of different patients and then helping make informed treatment decisions in collaboration with your healthcare professionals based on that data from so many different patients can really help empower a patient in terms of their treatment decision. Again, data enables you to make personalized services, you know, listening to their patients through the different data points that are taken can help you provide tailored and personalized services for them. And then there's that whole world of real world evidence and data that can come as well, which a lot of companies are investing a lot of money in at the moment and uh, that can help them move forward. And then finally, chatbots and patient companions are incredibly popular at the moment and are growing in their importance for patients in terms of helping them. So whether that be you know, a simple chatbot all the way through to AI-driven chatbots that can help patient you know, reminded to take their medication or lots of different functionality, uh, the ways of interaction with patients. So pharmaceutical companies can gather that deep well of data and really help them strategically better serve uh, patients uh, and their needs. One concept that I feel is growing at an alarming rate in terms of importance is 
generally the increasing complexity of um, advanced therapy medicinal products um, and how that is potentially quite a challenge for patients and carers in terms of understanding you know the science right and, and really being able to have an informed discussion uh, with their HCP team and one area that comes to mind is um, cell and gene therapy right which is a very exciting area and one which uh, we're particularly excited about in Vinamic and here in the UK um, the focus on cell and gene therapy is, is really uh, quite significant so uh, it's dramatically risen um, by about 45 percent in just a year from 2019 to 2020. And actually the UK here is uh, one of the areas which is a real hotspot uh, for research into cell and gene therapy. And I think areas like that present both an exciting opportunity for patients, but equally um, a, a challenge um, in terms of being able to really help um, create therapies that are understandable and, um, and accessible for patients so that they can have an informed discussion about their care. A lot of the materials that go out are written in a scientific way, which would be very difficult for a patient to fathom. And when you're thinking about cell and gene therapy and the complexities that surround it, it's even more important to develop tools, education for patients, whether it be direct through the the life sciences company itself or through their partners in terms of patient advocacy groups or patient organizations to help educate patients on these aspects and i think patient literacy we hear it a lot from our patient focused panels is a key topic of focus and i think it's going to be really really key for pharma companies to continue to invest in this space to make sure that as more and more com complex treatments come to market they're easily understood by patients so they can have an informed conversation with their healthcare professional or even their family um, on whether that treatment is indeed right. So, so perhaps the one thing that I'll add um, to, to Jack's perspectives is around the opportunity for pharma to think about how they can add value in their engagement with patients through the lens of the multidisciplinary care team, right? So I see a lot of focus from a pharma perspective around um, how can uh, pharma support HCPs in supporting their patient. But increasingly uh, with the fragmentation of care, with the increasing prevalence of home-based care, remote care, telehealth, et cetera, it becomes increasingly important for pharma to start to diversify how they are providing um, resources and quality information and education through different um, HCPs. So nurses and pharmacists and, and, and other uh, folks who really can provide a significant impact to the care for each of those patients. So I think we certainly would welcome um, and encourage uh, more space for, for new ideas and new initiatives from pharma to really make sure that that quality exchange uh, with patients is um, enhanced going forwards. I love your point, Gemma, about working across the entire multidisciplinary care team and the fragmentation, um, not only within individual care moments, but the entire healthcare ecosystem. I think uh, pharmaceutical and life science companies are uniquely positioned to be integrators in our healthcare ecosystem and really be that stakeholder that can you know, use their intellectual and financial means to choreograph others into this more patient-centric approach that they can fill some of the gaps that exist in moving the market to 
that true spirit. And I think there's also a lot of value that they can unlock by positioning themselves as the key driver of that change. Yeah, this is a great point, Jen. And there's a huge amount of value that pharmacies and companies can unlock by being patient centric. It really does underpin uh, high performing companies by being patient centric. So employees are more motivated when they have a patient focused mission. They're going to work harder. They're going to be more innovative. That's going to achieve profits, but it's going to drive short term results and increase retention. A lot of pharmaceutical companies don't actually focus on patient centricity because they don't think it impacts their bottom line, but it absolutely does. As that example I've just given you around employees being more motivated, but also by developing innovative solutions, digital projects, they can really drive increased revenue. And that was evidenced by a recent patient centricity digital platform project completed by Dynamic that actually increased 11% increase in overall revenues uh, through having a patient centric approach. Obviously, patients are going to going to improve your brand reputation by being patient focused by listening to them. Uh, that's really, really key. A lot of studies show that patients don't trust pharmaceutical companies. Obviously, by being patient centric, listening to them and developing solutions that they they want and need is really going to improve you know, your perception by patients and your overall brand reputation in the market. So lots of different reasons. Uh, why value the, the value of patient centricity can bring to biosciences companies. And it's nice to see that it's really moving in the right direction, um, you know, in terms of hiring patient-focused leads or chief patient officers. I really think there's, you know, some bright future ahead and pharma companies are just going to invest more and more in this area, uh, which is exciting for both the industry and the patients. Jack, it's great to see the progress across the life science industry in terms of the efforts that these companies are making to move towards that more patient-centric approach. But I'd love to talk about like what really separates the wheat from the chaff in terms of making these companies successful and really implementing these programs. Yeah, I think, uh, Jen, really to be successful, there are a couple of key things that life science companies really need to consider. And uh, the first of those um, starts with defining strategy, your overall intent, uh, really making sure that um, at an enterprise level, it's really clear uh, what the overall goals and objectives are. Um, and in particular, how those goals and objectives uh, will help elevate the patient voice. Um, early on and at the appropriate um, phase within the life cycle and all the way through, um, ensuring that there is integration of those real insights to critical decision-making um, and ensuring that that is then pulled through and used because sometimes it can be done and then forgotten, uh, really pulling it through uh, to ensure that both uh, the patient and the business outcomes are achieved. As we already covered today, uh, the, there has been an explosion in the relevancy of, of digital, right, in a patient-centric strategy. And, um, you know, that certainly is a fast-moving train. And, and here at Vynamic, we, we certainly see that as something that is set to continue at a fast pace going forwards. And therefore, another key successful uh, piece is to make sure that um, life sciences companies continue to work in partnership with patients so that there is a personal 
personalization um, of the digital approach. Again, you know, seeing a patient um, in a holistic way and understanding that one treatment for one patient does, is not necessarily the, the right treatment for another patient. And it's not necessarily only about the treatment. It's, you know, that entire provision of care through from the therapy, uh, the delivery of care, the service, the whole wraparound that's provided by the life science company. So that truly the digital opportunity is providing true value in a very tailored approach in each and every engagement with that patient and those who care for that patient or person. And last but not least, you know, um, it's it's fast moving and it isn't going to work all, all the time, every time, right? So it's really key uh, for life sciences companies to ensure that there is a pre-planned um, approach to measuring impact, right? Getting feedback, right? Just because you've done terrific research up front does not mean that it's necessarily going to be um, always successful um, now or down the line. So making sure that there is a prospective plan to track process, continue Continue the dialogue, right? Continue remembering that the patient is the expert about their experience and their needs and make sure that that feedback is integrated in an ongoing way um, so that it can be improved each and every and every time. So the outcomes, the experience for the person and also the return on investment for the life sciences company is optimized going forwards. Well, thank you so much, Gemma and Jack, for your perspective on patient centricity. I'm really excited to see what the impact of all of these efforts taken by the life science companies to move towards a more patient-centric approach has on overall outcomes for patients across the healthcare system. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.